Our scripture reading for this morning will be coming from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading in the uh, New American Standard Bible, if you would like to follow along in a like translation. If you not bring a Bible with you this morning, there should be a Bible in front of you, underneath the chair. Um, and this scripture will be on page 159 of the New Testament in that book. Uh, please stand in honor of God's word. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we have already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God how devotely and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you, each one of you, as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. It's always a great privilege to stand in the pulpit of this blessed church because when I look out at the people seated, I see people who love. They love me and they love each other. And that's the way that the Apostle Paul wanted the churches to be. So today, as we uh, look at the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, let me remind you of uh, the four excellent sermons that we had in chapter 1 in the last four weeks. People got saved by the ministry of Paul. They turned from idols, turned from their sin, and gloriously were changed and saved, and Paul reminded the Thessalonians that they were waiting for the Savior to come again. Jesus is coming. And the wrath to come is not a part of your life anymore. You have no worries about the wrath that is coming of hell. Because Jesus Christ saves utterly. And so Paul moves into another topic when he says, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our reception among you was not in vain. And the word vain there is not the one about good looking, the vanity of looks, or the vanity of accomplishment. In vain means the production. What, what the gospel of Jesus Christ had a great production in the lives of the people in Thessalonica. It was not in vain. Many were saved, and many stayed saved, and grew, and they got elders, and they became an um, example to all the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul only spent three weeks there, and yet the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in each of those people matured them so well that they became an example to other churches. And of course, that is what our Lord and Savior wants for Green Run Baptist Church. He wants you to be an example to other churches by the way you love each other, by the way you worship God, the way that you obey the Lord. 
When they say for you yourselves know, we're going to see that term uh, four or five times throughout this uh, chapter two this week and next week. He's not making a time of of talking about his authority and, and his accomplishments, but he is saying, you are my witnesses as to how I was among you. Anything that someone says about me, you know is not true. Because you saw me. You saw how I loved you, how I worked among you. And we'll see more about that in in the coming verses. And, uh, of course, our brother read from the 1995 version of New American Standard Bible. I had to buy a new one recently because my old one fell apart. I had pages falling on the floor. It was very embarrassing. That was in 1995. I have a 2020 now. So a few words here and there, when you look at that 1995, will be a slightly different. They just, they mean the same thing. But uh, here, instead of brethren, it says brothers and sisters, because the context talks of both genders within the church. And if you remember the book of Acts, which our other brothers read from, um, they were talking about the leading women of that area of that Jewish congregation. There were a lot of women in that group, and so a lot of them got saved, and so of course he would announce to the church of both brothers and sisters. So I think that was a nice change or addition for the 2020 version. But his work among them was not in vain. It produced. It was very valuable. But after we had already suffered in verse 2, and been treated abusively in Philippi, as you know, again, as you know, you are witnesses there in Thessalonica. We had the boldness in our God to speak to you, the gospel of God, amid much opposition. Yeah, the Jews in Philippi caused a riot, and they stripped Paul of his clothing, and he got beaten with rods, black and blue and bloody, and then they threw him in a prison, and they put him in the stocks to boot. You know what stocks are? These things at your feet, they stick in there and lock them. You can't move around. You can't go to the bathroom somewhere. You can't get up and go get a drink. You're stuck there. Very, very terrible. Well, when they came to Thessalonica, the Jews stirred up there as well. And later, the Jews from uh, Philippi came over and stirred up trouble. Opposition. The gospel, wherever it goes, has opposition. Have you ever been involved in evangelistic um, ministry? Always opposition. Sometimes calm, sometimes not so calm. Um, I remember when I was a young Christian, I was involved in a ministry that was very evangelistic and somewhat uh, discipleship. We'd go to the beach, we'd go to, you name it. We went to theaters. I went to bars outside the door, of course, and yelled inside the door. You can imagine what kind of response I got. I was a little bit of a radical. I've calmed down a lot now, haven't I, Gary? Yeah, I'm, I'm a calm guy now. But um, opposition is always against the gospel message, no matter how you preach it. In this case, he's saying that he preached it boldly. And he's not talking about obnoxiously, like I sometimes was when I was a new Christian. I was a little obnoxious sometimes in my gospel presentations, but I got the word over. <laughs> they, they heard it. Uh, here, Paul's not talking about obnoxious boldness. He's talking about, I just came back, I just came from a city where they beat me almost to death and shamed me in my nakedness, and I came to you, and I wasn't afraid to preach to you the gospel. I was bold. And why is he bold? It's because it's in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. It's God's gospel, and he's preaching God's gospel to them. So he's bold. It's not his own. He doesn't have to worry about what they think of him. He's concerned about what they think of God. And so in the gospel of God, remember all the things that you know about the attributes of God. Because it's a part of your presentation. Matter of fact, when you, most people who 
give a gospel presentation to people, they start off talking about God and his greatness and his attributes, his wonder. Then they shift to man. And that's where the bad news comes in, where you'll get the most opposition, because man is sinful, and he's doomed, and he's headed to the wrath to come. And you have to tell people about that. You don't candy coat the truth. And then you talk about Jesus Christ, the cross. Don't skip the bloodiness of the cross. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And people need to know that. Their sins are washed away by the precious and pure holy blood of Jesus Christ. It's part of your gospel presentation. So don't skip it just because people are afraid of talking about blood. That blood is important in your gospel presentation. All about Jesus. Yeah, you could talk about the meek and mild Jesus, but that meek and mild Jesus had some pretty tough things to say when he presented his gospel to his disciples. Remember them. And then, of course, you end with their subjection to Christ, their giving up to Christ, their surrender to Christ, and pray, and change. And immediately, the discipleship process begins, teaching the scriptures. You leave a brand new Christian on his own, it's not a good thing. I'm a testament to that. I prayed to receive Christ four times before the fifth one took, because there's no discipleship afterwards. I just was on my own, went about my own business, and well, okay. Went to church once, and oh, this is weird. Went on back to the party scene with my buddies. The fifth time took. It was God's timing. That one was on television. Wasn't even a person talking to me. (laughs) Saw a guy on TV, one of the good ones, and presented the gospel. But the thing that moved me was the young people involved in that ministry on television with him. Hundreds, thousands of young people dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ out witnessing in uh, the uh, Dallas area of Texas. I was blown away by that. These people are living for him after hearing the gospel. I'm going to do that now. And so they started sending me discipleship materials. God sent some people to me to disciple me, got me in a church, and now here I am today. Always disciple those that you witness to and, give, and they pray to receive Christ or they surrender to Christ or they give their heart to the Lord, whatever terminology you want to use. Because they're going to have much opposition, as the end of verse 2 says. It comes with coming to Christ. You will not give your life to the Christ. You will not get saved without opposition in your life, especially if you live the life. If you walk in a manner worthy of his call, you will have opposition. Family, friends, work, you name it, you will have opposition. Now, if you hide your Christianity and just be a nice person, eh, you might not have any uh, opposition. But if you live the way that Paul is teaching the Thessalonians to live, you will have opposition. Verse 3, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity, or by way of deceit. And again, he's not protecting himself about what people are saying about him. He's just reminding them of how he acted among them. And this is an example for you, the church, how you should have your ministry. His ministry was characterized this way. Yours should be as well. And at this point, I might take another trail. The scriptures are great for devotion and helping you to grow. But remember, all of these New Testament letters are written to what? Churches. That's right. They're written to churches. You are part of a church. And so not only are you to benefit from these things to grow thereby, but you are to be part of a church and helping that church to be that way, to follow these examples. You can't be a loner. As a matter of fact, I know of a theologian that got so tired of churches, the way they were doing things, that he went off by himself, became a hermit, continued to write books that were great. But was he in the Lord's will? As great as he was? No. 
The Lord always means for Christians to be involved in church and living the way that he's talking about here. Paul exampled um, error-free. He taught the scriptures without error. So when you listen to preachers, you have to check on them to see if they're in error. Check on me today to see if I say something wrong. Always check out for error and make sure you do not have error in your presentations. Impurity. Really, the word is talking about morality. You know, you need to be a moral person in this world. And if you want to uh, be an example to people or if you want to uh, share the gospel with someone, you need to have your moral compass on at all times. Don't give in. Television isn't going to help you there. You have to limit that quite a bit. There's very little on there that's going to help you stay moral, to keep you strong and fighting against the sin that is within you. He was pure in his morality among them. Uh, Famous people in the ministry, how many of them lose their ministries because of moral impurity? Happens all the time. It's one of the main um, arrows that Satan fires at Christians and especially Christian leaders and teachers. Morality. Protect your morality at all costs, as Paul did. Nor did he come to them by way of deceit, trickery. You know, uh, there are people out there that are in the ministry for money. Okay? That's... I think everyone knows about that. And they use deceit to bring in the numbers and bring in the numbers of cash with it. In your gospel presentation and in your life for Christ, you don't have to hide anything. Deceitfulness does not help the gospel message. Deceitfulness does not help in ministering to people. If you have flaws and you're afraid of someone seeing them, Fix the flaws. Give them the Jesus. Change. Don't hide them. It's to your benefit that you fix the flaws. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not intending to please people, but to please God who examines our hearts. That's a mouthful, isn't it? You know, talking about God examining our hearts is very convicting. He examines our hearts 24-7, not just when we're here at church. Any ministry that you have, any person that you talk to or have a relationship with, he's examining how you present yourself and him to them. I've got to remember to look over this way once in a while. You don't think you're being preached to. Sorry about that. I'll remember to come over twice in a row. Uh, Just as we have been approved by God. Now, these apostles, you know, you think, well, I don't have to be approved by God to, to minister. That's for these apostles. No. Everyone who ministers the gospel or the word of God to people is approved by God. And what approves you? Your salvation. The Holy Spirit living within you approves you for the ministry. Don't shirk back from ministering to people because of you're an introvert or whatever it might be. You remember how boldly Pastor Dave preached to us and ministered to us? By nature, he was actually an introvert. You wouldn't know it. He had boldness in his God to preach, teach, and minister to people with boldness. Because it's in God. If you're introverted, you too can take upon yourself the power of God and minister. Whether it be the gospel or it be teaching the word of God. Or counseling or comforting. All those things are blessed needs in this world. You're the one. And you, you know, when I point like that, what's pointing back at me? Three fingers. Even more conviction. If I say it. I'm under conviction to do it, just like you are. These words are convicting. 
because we are approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Gospel is a precious thing, and you are given this precious thing to carry about in the world. Handle it greatly. Handle it without any deceit. Handle it with love, with purity, and without error. That means study. Before you teach somebody something, you better study it because you don't want to give anyone any error by accident. Growing up in Christ, I was given a lot of error. Bless, you know, somebody trying to teach me about the Trinity, they tried to go easy on me and they used modalism to teach me the Trinity. You know, all these three things and all these symbols. And Modalism is not the Trinity. The Trinity is who he is, is who God is. Don't try to explain it. Just say that it is. God is sovereign. He doesn't need you to dumb down the teaching of who he is. Teach what the Bible teaches and leave all your own explanations to yourself. We're entrusted with the gospel. Trust. You know, you married people. You trust your spouse? Yeah. Do you trust your children? Mm. Now that one you got to be careful with, don't you? Because you're still in the process of teaching them to be trustworthy. But you better trust your spouse. Hopefully you married the one that God wanted you to marry. And you've got it, and you've got it good like me. I could trust mine explicitly. And she me. Entrusted with the gospel is an even greater thing than being entrusted with a marriage. You've got a divine appointment when you meet a person with the gospel. It's a divine appointment. Not everyone out there is ready for the gospel. And so you will have opposition. You'll say, I don't want to hear that. But every now and then, God has sent you to someone who has a divine appointment to get saved. And there you are. Any opportunity you have to share the gospel, just do it. Because you don't know what God is doing inside a person's heart. Work at the gospel ministry always. Even if you're a timid person, God will use it because it's his gospel. And power comes with his gospel. After being entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Paul spoke the pure gospel. Not intending to please people, but to please God. Now, pulpits around this country, how much people pleasing goes on in the pulpits today? A lot of it. These sermons, you know, in preparation, I said, I want to see how some other pastors preach 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Not to learn anything from them so much. I would rather do that in print and by prayer but to see how other peoples handle the word of truth. And I was amazed at how poorly it was handled by so many of the peoples on YouTube. Had two that were right on target, enjoyed them. All the rest, it was, it was not good. There were people pleasing a lot in there, trying to make people comfortable with the gospel. The gospel is not comfortable. The results can be because you, you flee the wrath of God and the wrath that you experience in life as a non-Christian. It's a terrible thing to live without God. Your lives are not happy like they pronounce they are. They're very miserable. Pleasing God rather than people. So whenever you talk to people, remember that you're pleasing God in it rather than the person you're talking to, which means you will be correct in talking about who God is. You'll be correct in what dire circumstance mankind is in. You'll be correct in how Jesus saves, and you'll be correct in how one needs to submit to Christ to get saved. Please God in your ministries, whether it be comforting, whatever ministry you have, please God in it, not people. Of course, you have to do a little bit of pleasing of parents when you're in a child ministry where you're going to hear about it, but that's not the same thing we're talking about. No one wants the wrath of mama. 
Verse 5, for we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek honor from people, either from you or from others, though we could have asserted our authority as apostles of Christ. Another big mouthful. Flattering speech. Wow, this congregation is pretty. You guys are great. Oh, that's flattery. It's true, but I don't need to tell you how good looking you are. Right, Gary? You know you're pretty. You know, stay that way. You don't have to be flattered. Flattering speech doesn't have to be a part of your gospel message or your teaching or your comforting ministry. To flatter people does no, it's not a good uh, beginning for your ministry to them. You don't need it. Uh, They don't need to feel good about themselves. What's a part of the gospel? Man, teaching about man. You do not want them to feel good about themselves. They need to know of their sinfulness in order for the gospel to have its effect. Flattering speech. Beware of the preacher or the minister or the evangelist who flatters you in the way that they speak to you. Now, it's it's good to be kind. It's, It's good to be polite. That's not flattery. Kindness and politeness are not flattery. It's your words, what you say to them about them up front, that is flattery, especially if you don't even know them. How do you flatter someone that you don't know? You're being deceitful when you do that. Cut that out of your presentation. I didn't flatter you in the beginning when I said I loved you and that you love me and the church loves one another. That's not flattery, is it? That's just the facts. It's a known fact, a fact that I witnessed. And so I witnessed of my observation that you love me and you love one another. And, that, and I'm telling you that I love you. I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not flattering when I say that. No brag, just fact, if you remember that term from long ago. These apostles could have asserted a certain amount of authority over this church. But why would they want to use a heavy-handed presentation to these baby, brand-new Christians who are coming out of paganism? They don't know anything about church. The little they know about God is what they know about the Jewish church, you know, the Jewish synagogue in that city. And so you had a mixture of Greeks, pagans, and Jews who were hearing Paul's message. And when he wrote to this church sometime later from Corinth, there were more, and probably a lot more, Gentiles that had come into the church. And so... His authority as an apostle was immense, powerful. If you remember some of the uh, stories from the book of Acts, he and his partner were walking down the street on a sunny day along a whole bunch of sick people, and when their shadows touched them, people were rising behind them, healed. That's authority. We don't have that, but we are apostles, little a, because we are... Sent out ones. Each and every one of you is sent out to share the gospel with every person that you can, that will listen, that you have an opportunity to speak to. Of course, I had a bad presentation when I was a brand new Christian with the gospel. I used to go into the barracks. I got saved when I was in the Marine Corps. I used to go to the Navy barracks. And as all the guys were coming down after they got out of their uniforms and into civvies to go party, I was at the bottom of the steps with my handful of tracks. Hey, you, you, come here. I was grabbing people and and boldly presenting the gospel to them. That That wasn't the way to do it. I found out later, there's a guy sitting over there. I'm going to go over there and sit next to him. Can I sit here and talk to you a little bit? And then start presenting the gospel. Wow, the results were much better. Another Keith story. Those, all, those come off the cuff, you know. They're not planned, as you probably have learned. 
my Keith stories, as my small group calls them. Apostles of Christ had great authority, and yet he was meek and mild and gentle with them, as we'll see in the coming verses. Remember how powerful apostles were. But, big word, we proved to be gentle among you. As powerful as they were, they were gentle in their presentation. Bold, because they were in opposition. They charged through the opposition to get to those hearts and speak the gospel to them. But they were tender with the people themselves that they were ministering to. See the difference between boldness and gentleness there? And the example that he gives, he uses a family uh, example. As a matter of fact, we're moving into a different section. If you're an outliner, verses 1 through uh, 6, basically he's talking about his stewardship as an apostle and a minister of the gospel, right? His stewardship. Now we're moving into um, the example of uh, parental, uh, an apostle as a parent, okay? Steward, and now we're talking about parental things. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. I remember, you know, my blessed wife blessed me with four kids. You know, three girls, one boy. She doesn't know it. I doubt if she ever noticed, but I would often come in and watch her nurse the babies. Because of that look on the face. You ever see a mama when they're nursing their baby? Where Are they looking at the TV? Are they look, looking at the walls? Are they looking out the window? <laughs> they're almost always adoring looking down at that baby. But that's not really the uh, image that Paul is trying to share here with nursing mothers. I say that. Um, you know, we have a, a, a new couple with the baby, Canon. You here? Daddy? No, he's not here today. If you're back there somewhere. You know, Cannon and Hannah have a new baby. I wonder if Cannon has witnessed, you know, that look of the baby in her arms. It's a blessed thing. I remember it four times. It was just a, a wonder. Ryan, same thing with you, brother. You're looking on that beautiful wife of yours and the beautiful children. Were you in awe? of that look that she gave those children? All right. Well, let's move on to what Paul was really talking about in nursing. Because when the nursing is done for food, what other nursing is going on? A whole lot of work, isn't it? You know, protection, clothing, cleaning, crying, waking up all hours of the night, all that stuff. And uh, as a uh, Keith's story, my wife was an equal opportunity parent, okay? She made sure there was stuff in the refrigerator for me to heat up in the middle of the night and go give my tender look. So, the gentle ministry of a mother to her children in rearing them is an example of how ministers of the gospel should minister to churches. If you have a pastor... They should be a person that nurtures you. Not just from the pulpit, but in a personal relationship. Yeah. You know, Pastor Dave was a loving, loving, loving guy. He just loved people immensely. And I hope that some of you got to know him that well. He just had an overwhelming love for his people and me even though I, I probably didn't deserve it. I kind of point things out too much, as the elders would attest. Um, this affection for them, he delighted in it. We had a fond affection for you and were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us, it's a you know very you know it brings the old tears out. You know you could you could write a Harlequin novel with that stuff. I love mush books. Anyone? Uh, anyway, you girls probably know it. Um, 
his own life. He would give his own life for the ones that he loved. Fond affection, delighting in sharing with you the only gospel of God. Don't skip back. Don't skip past that word only. There aren't a whole lot of gospels out there. There's only one. God's gospel is the only gospel out there. And any other gospel that you hear of is false. It's nice of uh, Paul to remind us that there's only one gospel of God. But with that gospel, you need to be willing to give your life for those people, which means time. doesn't necessarily mean you die physically for them, although that can be implied. No, I'm talking about giving of your time, energy, finances, and otherwise to minister to the lives of people. It's expected. The apostles exampled that for the church, all of the churches. And I'm reminded of something I was going to say in my introduction but didn't, but I'll just say it now. The book of Revelation has seven visions in it. The first vision talks about the church. And there are seven churches that he examples. There were other churches at the time, but he, he chose these seven. And there were good things about them and not so good things about them. He wanted them to example the good things, and he wanted to, them to fix the things that weren't quite right. Matter of fact, some of them were very unright. Whereas my old boss used to say it when I worked elsewhere, ungood, one of his favorite words, whenever something would go bad, his famous word was ungood. And there are some ungood things that happen in churches that need to be repaired. And no big miracle needs to happen for that. It just needs for you to change, for you to do something about it, to understand the word of God without error and make those changes in the church. Go home today, read the first three chapters of Revelation, and see what those examples are, the good things and the ungood things, and change your life effectively by it. And the church, too, because this was a preaching, a vision to the church. All right. You had become very dear to us. That is so important. Like when visitors come to a church, they want to know that right there the day that they're visiting that you mean something to them. You're going to come over and speak. You're going to introduce them to others. You're going to, if they come back the next week, you're going to remember their name, hopefully. My worst thing. I need to meet people two or three times before I sometimes will remember their name. But I remember Nina's name. It's fresh. Um, Verse 9, for you recall, brothers and sisters, or brethren, if you choose from the 1995 NASB, our labor and hardship. It was by working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you that we proclaim to you the gospel of God. When Paul came to Thessalonica, he didn't put an offering box up. He didn't choose some ushers to go and pass a plate. He took care of his own needs, his own shelter, his own food, his own clothing. All of his needs he took care of by working a job. In my studies, I found a church that um, one of their ministries is going to be taking seminary students or Bible college students, either one, bringing them to the church. They made a building for them, and they're going to train them in how to have a uh, vocation. Or, you know, all kinds of trades. So they're asking people in their congregation that are tradesmen to come to this place on a weekly basis and teach these young ministers a vocation so that wherever they go in the world, they can support themselves if they need to. Like planting a church. Sometimes, you know, you start with very little money to start a church. Ministers need to have a vocation to help along and work part-time with the ministry until, they, until people get the idea, oh, offerings, oh, yeah. Like we ask for offerings every week. Is it for greed? No. It's to pay salaries, to pay bills, to minister, to send out missionaries, all these things. None of it goes for anyone's greed. 
But we remind people each week because it's an act of worship. But Paul here didn't take a plate or an offering box during his three weeks there. He met his own needs. And he used that as an example. All of us need to be hard workers. We need to be, if we're in a vocation, we need to be seen as a hard worker. I know I, I'm not bragging, but as a young man, I was a really hard worker. I couldn't even, Gina was a test. It's a, that's why, well, probably why she doesn't know I sneaked in and looked at her nursing the baby to see that face on her. Because I couldn't sit down as a young man. I was always on my feet. Work, 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 work. I was a work nut. And she had to stop me sometimes to remind me, hey, you've got to pay attention to me too. I'm a part of the work. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah I, okay, I can see you as work. I'll do that. <laughs> and so I did. With gentleness and with love. You might have missed the part where I'll stare at mama nursing you. <laughs> My daughter's down here. Um, labor and hardship. He worked hard, but he also had hardship. Hardship wasn't just you know, the work part of it. Hardship was the opposition. All the time he's trying to preach to them, he's working to make money to take care of himself, and he's also fighting off the opposition so that the people can hear his message. I'll use the example of a comedy club. You ever, I've never been to one, but I've seen them on YouTube where a comic will get up there and there are people in the audience they are being rude. He's trying to say something funny and they're in there, ah, they're saying stuff and yelling and that's opposition. You'll find that in your gospel presentation or your ministry to people, opposition. And of course, that's what Paul was talking about here. Labor and opposition both were clouding his ministry. But he got through, didn't he? Because once he left Thessalonica, it was a thriving church and it continued to grow, so much so that it was an example to other churches, as I've said before. It was by working night and day. Probably, you know, most of you who know me, I don't like speculations, but I'm going to give one. That'll make you more comfortable. I speculate that he probably ministered at night, worked during the day to make what he needed, probably something like that. That speculation probably isn't error, is it? Probably true, pretty close. Working night and day so as not to burden, to be a burden to any of you that we proclaim to you the gospel of God. There it is, the gospel of God again, so incredibly important for the word of God, the gospel of God to get out to people. Whatever obstacles that you have to go through to share the gospel and to live a life that is worthy of his call. Fight those oppositions. All of us have things in our life that cause us not to worship God, not to serve God, not to pray to him, not to serve him. Happens to everyone. Fight those oppositions even to death if you have to. Fight them so that you can be pure, without error in your ministry. Gospel of God. Verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly and rightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Wow, three things. And, you know, three witnesses here. This must be pretty important. His behavior. So, Take upon yourself his example. In his ministry, his behavior mattered. So your behavior in life matters. It matters not only to your family, spouse, relatives, friends, workmates, but it matters to the government. It matters to the pagan society around you. And yes, this America is not a Christian nation. It is a pagan nation, if you didn't already know that. You are in the minority, those of you who behave rightly. Amen? Devoutly. That's a very religious word. It's 
consistently staying, behaving rightly. It's a consistency, all right? Religious word, devout. Whenever you hear about, oh, that's a devout person. It's somebody that's consistent. You know, like church attendance. If you're devout, considered to be a devout person, you're at church every week. You try not to skip unless you're sick or out of town. You know, you're devout, religiously consistent. Rightly, just talking about righteousness. You know, you live a righteous life. And blamelessly, wow, how many of us can say that we live blamelessly? People can't point at us and say, oh, I don't see anything bad about you. Wow, you got a good testimony. You're after that. You want, you want people to look at you as being blameless, not with hypocrisy, not with flattering speech, not with deceit, but by the way you actually live. To live righteously. Blamelessly. Paul behaved that way toward these believers, and it really took root with them. In your ministry, whether it be in gospel or discipleship or teaching or comforting or counseling, whatever it might be, blamelessness, a, a, an attitude of blamelessness and love and caring is so important, sometimes in the beginning at least, is sometimes more important than the message itself, as important as that message is. Endearing people to yourself without flattery and without deceit, but true love for people is how the ministry will go successfully. Verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Three things again. In his exhortations, which just means powerful presentations of teaching, exhorting, trying to get you to do something. I hope in my mannerisms, doing all this kind of stuff, you you see that I'm talking about exhorting. You're presenting the truth with power, with boldness, with clarity. Exhorting. When you exhort and encourage... You want to do it like a daddy. Now, some of us don't have daddy examples, okay? Most of us have mama examples, sometimes just a daddy, but most people, it's the daddies are the ones that are missing. Daddies are important. Dads, don't ever think that mom has more importance in your children's lives than you do. They need daddy. Mamas typically are going to be the more gentle the more kind, the most considerate. Uh Uh-oh, mother-daughter time over there. And daddy is typically the teacher and the rule keeper and, you know, the, the, the bad cop. Well, sometimes that does get reversed as I'm witnessing over here. Um, but you get the, you get the example that Paul is teaching, right? Fathers are important. So, Paul, to the church at Thessalonica, was both mother and father in roles in how he brought them up. You know, my kids had a dad all their lives. Yeah, I was a workaholic, but I was home a lot, and when I was home, I paid attention. You know, the the little book reading. You know, what is that? They stick their finger in the book? She remembers one of her favorite times. I can't talk much about my fathering. It brings me to tears. I enjoyed raising kids so much. With that thought, have that attitude in your ministry to people. The gospel, discipleship, comforting, teaching. Have that mother and father attitude when you deal with them. Sometimes you have to be extremely patient. Right, Donna? You had to be real patient, didn't you? Yeah. Robin won't look at me. Uh, With the time left, we're going to look at verse 12. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Wow. 
We all know what the word walk means. It means your Christian life, the way you behave, the way you do things, your walk with the Lord. When we see someone's walk that is staggering or failing, we need to come alongside them and hold them up. You need to be the one to hold them up so that they can get well. Christians do fall backwards. They need people that are strong and vital and loving to come alongside and minister at those times. Not just hospital visitation, but all parts of life. When you hear of people that, or you view a Christian that isn't living right, you don't go straight to them with proclamation of doom. You go to them with love and gentleness and then teach the truth of doom. But love is the answer to all ministry for success. Walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Wow. You, right now, as a Christian, if you're here among us as a true Christian, are in the kingdom of God. You're a kingdom kid. And you live in glory. There is a glory in you. You ever notice sometimes after songs I'll say glory? That's what I'm talking about. I'm saying that song just reminded me of the glory of God in me. And it's coming out of my heart and out of my mouth saying, wow, I'm enjoying what you're saying about my God. I believe that about my God. Glory. I don't think I have my picture in here, do I? I might. I found it in my old Bible the other day. There he is. You guys haven't seen that before, have you? I always carry it with me. Some sermons over at Faith Bible Church, they saw it more than once. There he is. Glory. It's my favorite word. So, in ending this uh, sermon today, I encourage you to live in a lot, live a life that is worthy of that upward call of God. He called you to himself. He changed you gloriously in power. The Holy Spirit resides within you and enables you to walk in a worthy manner day by day. So submit to the Holy Spirit and live that life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Paul about his ministry. We thank you for next week as we look at the church itself, what it did. And we ask God, please, may the word of God be living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword in our lives. May it change us. May it make us bold but gentle Christians, ambassadors for Christ, apostles in the sense that we're, we all know that we are all, every each and one of us are sent out ones in whatever frame of life that might be, whether it be at a church, a mission field, a street corner, a house, a hospital bed, wherever it might be, may we remember that we are approved of God to share the gospel of God because of the power of God within us. Glory be unto your holy name, O God.